This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 192, James Brown, the professional opportunist. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. So imagine you're sitting at a hypnosis convention and there's somebody up on stage giving a presentation and the emergence pattern, rather than the standard in a moment, I'm going to count from one to three, this is what's going to happen, or at your own time when your eyes open, notice how good you feel, the standard dialogue that we would all often use. Instead, by way of proving a point, his uh, emergence pattern is instead... Go ahead and go through whatever mental voodoo you feel is necessary to bring yourself out of whatever you're calling this thing. And then the client's eyes open up. Well, that was uh, my first live introduction to James Brown, who joins me on the program here today, which uh, the backstory to this is it was a very fascinating, if not slightly polarizing uh, dialogue that he introduced in his presentation when I was uh, back in London at the UK Hypnosis Conference in 2018. A presentation which I'm going to have him give you a little bit of a play-by-play of some of the themes in this dialogue we're about to have. In terms of how doing very powerful instant inductions and reinductions, basically without any technique behind it, just kind of looking at what are some of the elements that are actually making the hypnotic experience work? How is it we can look at the process as an art? How is it we can begin to break away some of the, as he would call it, structured rituals uh, of the process and really almost like a magic trick, chunk it all down to the individual ingredients and realize that the secret behind a lot of what we do is actually quite simple. Um, A favorite moment is uh, having that almost crisis of conscience as somebody who has lived by the phrase of learning the rules to break them. And well, James did a good job of breaking that mindset of mine. And that, that ability that over time we can begin to have different opinions, different approaches, and really different thinking behind the work that we do and the whole philosophy of the wrongless approach, which we wrap up this dialogue on in terms of, as James would call himself, the professional opportunist, to look at the opportunities that are there and how do we harness it and break this all or nothing mindset that, you know, if you're working with a client for weight loss, as soon as you break the all or nothing mindset, if you're working with a client with anxiety or fear, as soon as you help them break out of that all or nothing mindset, but it's an amazing gift to even bring that same dialogue to us as the hypnotist, that it's not a matter of does the technique work or not, it's instead, how do I pivot it from here? How do I put it into use? So check out James's website, we'll give the links over in the show notes over at worksmarthypnosis.com, but it's simply powa.academy. That's where you can check out his work, his recent uh, book as well. And while you're on the web, head over to worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash training. That's the simplest link I can give you to all the upcoming events that I'm hosting, whether it's my live hypnosis training, my NLP trainings, as well as the online programs, plus the recently announced pre and post offerings for HypnoThoughts Live 2019. There's a lot of great options there to look at programs both live and online, plus some guest training events as we're bringing Bob Burns to the States in March 2019. Again, all these training opportunities, check them out over at WorkSmartHypnosis.com com forward slash 
training. And with that, let's jump directly into this outstanding conversation. This is session number 192, James Brown, the professional opportunist. Right. Okay. So um, my my origins in hypnosis are I'm slightly diverse in a sense. Um, I've been doing magic uh, for a good number of years and pickpocketing. I had an original background, sort of my previous life, as it were, uh, within the medical profession, uh, within psychiatry, psychiatric nursing. Um, uh, But by by the time I'd been doing magic for maybe eight years, five five to eight years, uh, I stumbled across some chap who wanted to learn in fact paul dawkins is the guy's name uh known to some hypnotists here in the uk i I dare say and he wanted to learn uh pickpocketing theatrical pickpocketing and and i sort of had a vague interest in hypnosis but very much at a distance and i said well i tell you what why don't we why don't we spend a day together um i can you know i can spend half the day explaining uh pickpocketing to you you can spend half the day uh, explaining hypnosis to me. And I thought this was a, a fair exchange. Uh, he went first, actually. And, and bearing in mind this is, oh, goodness knows how many years ago now, but bearing in mind it was the very traditional sort of classic stage hypnosis framing, um, you know, um, pre-talk, induction, mm-hmm. uh, deepener, suggestion, wake up, the, the, the classic the classic setup. Uh and uh, he he sort of gave me the information, but I was interested in, in in sort of the periphery of it. You know, what was really going on, what was making it work. Uh, what was interesting is when it came to my turn, I essentially said at the beginning of my half of the afternoon, um, well, I'm, I'm about to kind of say pretty much the same thing back to you. Um, and all the way through the morning, I'd been seeing these, these strong parallels between uh, the hypnosis and... Uh, and the pickpocketing, which might not make sense to somebody on the surface of it. Yeah, that's something we got to explore that, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that that was interesting, and this is something that 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 I've talked about on a number of occasions. W- one of the effects of um, so let, let me jump back in here a second. Then there was a, maybe about a five year gap, and I, da- I and I dabbled here and there, and you know I was doing the, the the sort of you know inducing hypnosis, and I was I was pretty good at it. And then I met Adam Eason um, 15 years ago now, probably, um, at some some business uh, breakfast meeting. Uh, I was there as a magician. He was obviously there as a hypnotherapist. Um, and then things started to grow because suddenly I had access to somebody who who had a, 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 a better depth of knowledge um, and uh, and and then we started doing some work together. You know, he obviously recognised a, 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 a sort of a flair, if you like, for the for the art, uh, because by the way, I see hypnosis as an art primarily. Uh, it's something that, uh, that 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 you can be very creative in doing. That um, uh, that is more far more than a set of. Um, uh, structured rituals. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm very much against the structured rituals approach. But there we go. Um, so, so yeah, that was that was it. The big thing for me in all of this uh, along the way was I brought my my thinking as a magician. Now, what people don't necessarily realise or certainly don't think about is that uh, 
the way that magic works is if you meet a magician, and particularly when you see a magician on television or on stage, when the magician tells you how the magic was done and, and sort of, you know, seemingly pulls back the curtain and shows you the secret, they are almost certainly lying to you. Mm-hmm. Almost certainly. N- not always, but almost certainly. The, 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 the explanation as to how the magic works is usually in and of itself another layer of misdirection and another layer of theatre. And um, as a result of this knowledge and, 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 and the passion I have for, for magic and for deception and for, for perception, I've become very acutely aware of, of things that, that sound like and, 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 and look like uh, the, the sort of the magical obfuscation that we use. And when, when I first started to look into hypnosis, all of the explanations for what hypnosis was and how it worked, um, you know, the trance, depth, all of these things, it all sounded to me like, the BS I would tell somebody when explaining how a magic <laughs> trick Yeah. And, and, and no, no matter how much it worked and no matter how successful I was in, in, in pursuing uh, the subject, there was always this niggling doubt, this voice in the back of my head that just was screaming at me, this is a magic trick. You know, you, 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 there's, there's something wrong with this. There's, you know, and back to the idea of magic. The real answer to magic is is usually um, painfully simple. It's it, it's it, it's dressed up theatrically to make it more exciting than actually the truth is. Yeah, you know, if I'm if I'm reading your mind, uh, the the sad truth of is that uh, either I'm guessing, uh, or I already know, or I found out somehow, uh, and those are really dull answers. So we have to create right, and and just to give some context here, I mean, this might even bring us because I, I I had a background in magic before and mentalism before getting into hypnosis, yes, and then course. the hypnosis is what took over. Uh, though I'd mention, and it's the uh, it's the quote of uh, someone who may be a cross connection here, previous guest here on the podcast, Alon New, that I think it was his quote of uh, "Don't NLP on my leg and tell me it's raining." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which which goes back to I am reading I am reading your body language and I am reading your eye contact and that's how I told you the name of your friend when meanwhile no I peeked at the piece of paper when you yes, weren't looking absolutely absolutely yeah uh, that it comes back to a very simple thing and yeah I, I love this connection of this dialogue to structured rituals that you know there, there may be some value to learning the rituals of the hypnosis process in order to learning the rules to break the rules at times that, you know, we do our induction, now we do our deepeners, now we're into the suggestions, yet the the deeper someone gets into this field, the more they realize the entire process is about that hypnotic suggestion. Yeah. You see, I've I've got to be honest, I'm I, I've never I've never quite bought this argument of, you know, somebody has to learn the rules to break them. Mm-hmm. Um it, it, it to me that sounds like uh, a sort of a self-justifying argument. It sounds like the kind of thing that you create after the fact to justify why you wasted all that bloody time learning the rules in the first place. Oh, I like I'm, it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not convinced that that's actually true. I think that you can um, 
In fact, I'm not, I don't just think, I know, because, because Danny, my business partner, and I have actually done this with a, at least 10, 10 people that we've personally mentored to understand hypnosis from scratch. And we didn't introduce them to the rituals. We didn't introduce them to this structure. We started off with, right, this is, this is what we think is going on in the very basic sense. And then we just built up a picture around that. Um, and, and sort of, you know, as it were, once, once they, once they understood it, we sent them out into the world and, and, you know, certainly five of them have made a very successful career out of, uh, out of, you know, hypnosis. So we, 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 we kind of use the term reality bending because we just feel it's slightly, a, it's a better descriptor, mm-hmm. uh, than the word hypnosis. It's got less baggage for a start. Um, but, but, but the idea that they'd have to have learned the bad habits to then, to then be able to unlearn them later just doesn't make it, it. I mean, it doesn't even make sense, does it? Why, why, why teach somebody bad habits just just so in the future you can free them up to not to use those to not have those habits anymore? You know, just don't teach them the damn bad habits to begin with, or, or, or at least teach them better habits. Teach the teach them teach them to understand uh, what's going on. And my immediate my immediate thought to that would be that sometimes there is the scenario, then again, this goes back to the original concept, where, and I can think of a client just yesterday that had a preconceived notion as to how the process was about to go, that I'd, I'd quote someone like Richard Nongard who talks about when you're doing a five-to-one deepener, uh, there's this sort of innate ability that they've seen the Dracula movies, and part of their mind is going, oh, that's right, that's what hypnotists do. So there is yes. that aspect of delivering some of the expectation of the experience, the way that there are some who would be of a conversational hypnosis process that unless there's the conscious hook to hang the process off of, they may be wondering, was I actually experiencing hypnosis? When we, we can know from our side of it, we've got the change in motion. We've got something in action here. Yet to actually satisfy that conscious aspect of, yes, that was the hypnosis part of what we did. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, you know, this is why I like. But but so to me, actually, the irony is this this fits into this notion of freedom. Uh, Yes. In the lecture I gave at the UKHC, I talk about this idea of of looking at all of these approaches as a buffet. Um, And Mm -hmm. the question is, uh, have you have you uh, limited yourself to only one section of the buffet or are you actually free to, 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 to dine out, you know, wherever you like? And just to rewind back here, that that dialogue that you gave around the buffet metaphor is the moment I went, I got to have this guy on the podcast. For those that weren't there, can you uh, reiterate what that was? Yeah, well, so um, stepping back really a little bit further, I, I, I have um, I made a point at the uh, the UK hypnosis uh, uh, convention that that I, I there's a, there's a fear that I have around the hypnosis community, which has become very very religious. It's become very doctrinal. Uh, that you know, there's there's groups of people following a leader, and you know, there's there's, there's bands of um, uh, of sort of apostles and and almost prophets of of these particular people. Um, and, and while I've got nothing against you know learning from from certain sources and. And even following the people that you you admire, the danger is when it becomes religious mm-hmm. to the extent that everybody else is wrong. That that you know, using the, the the religious parlance, you know, we have the truth, and everybody else, uh, you know, they're all sinners and demons and whatever else. 
and and that kind of us and them um, uh, polarized thinking, uh, which sadly is fairly pervasive in the world today anyway, uh, is definitely within the hypnosis community. Uh, you know, we're right, they're wrong. Um, uh, and, and I actually think that's very limiting and it's very dangerous for, for lots and lots of reasons. And I likened the idea to, look, you know, this this is a big buffet. You know, there are there there things that taste good to me. There are things that don't taste good to me. Um, why not why not have all of the buffet available and i can just go and pick and choose to what suits me what suits my palate uh what works best for me and, and also bearing in mind that actually my my tastes will and do change that just because just because i didn't like this today doesn't mean in in a few years time i shouldn't come back and try it again because actually it, it might taste better i might know something that i didn't know now that i do know then and so on and it's just about this this ability to pick up and let go. Uh, and, and the link I made to religion uh, was, was actually the idea of identity. Uh, and this was the discussion that I'd had in the past with Jorgen um, uh, and Martin Taylor and a few others was this idea of, you know, does, does what you do as a hypnotist or a hypnotherapist, does that des- define who you are? Is, is, that, is that all you are? Um, because if it is, you know, if you've if you've tied your very sense of self up with uh, not just what you do, but specifically what you do, then to change your mind on something or let go of something means sacrificing a sense of self, which is why I think that people are scared to do that. You know, people have invested huge amounts of time and money and their own identity in following this particular doctrinal path. So if anything comes to to knock it slightly or even destroy it, because there are, you know, you know, whether we like it or not, certain certain things that we've believed as hypnotists for decades, science is now saying no. And here's the evidence for it. Yeah. Now, 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 should we, you know, for me, I don't have a problem letting go of this stuff at all. I mean, you know, there are things that I believe uh, there are things that I absolutely firmly believed 10 years ago, without a doubt about hypnosis. And then, you know, that pesky thing called evidence came along. So I went, <laughs> okay, that's fine. You know, that, that didn't mean that I didn't, that, that didn't mean that I had to stop making use of it. I just had to stop believing it was happening for that reason. But also, I mean, to look at it from the perspective that uh, to come out of it, to realize that, you know, back to the magic example, uh, I may have thought, oh, let's use a simple example that for whatever um, for whatever strategy that you've used to somehow figure out a hidden piece of information, whether it's a word that someone's looked at in a book or a name that someone's thought of, the, the strategy to go, okay, if I'm thinking of your first name, James, um, I just want you to scramble up those letters in your mind and uh, focus on one of those letters, you're focusing on the letter M, aren't you? Which is just a bit of a guess, just by intuition. Yeah. There's not much to it other than, than that strategy. And it's where to ask you know, a dozen people in a room, how was it I, I was able to pick that up? And someone's going to have some sort of more esoteric description of that. Someone else is going to have a very simple logical explanation. And, and to some degree, everybody is kind of right. So I, I love that nuance you just mentioned there of not necessarily dismissing everything was that was there before, but almost using it to a different degree because now kind of going deeper into it, seeing that, well, maybe something else was going on inside of this. And it, because I can highlight that, I can do it a little bit better now. Yeah. And, and being, you know, and being willing not to be, um, 
you know, to be absolute in the moment, but allow that moment to change as well. So I think it's important that we, as human beings, it's important that we own our belief, that we actually have a real sense of, okay, this is what I think. And I'm going to, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm um, you know, to fight my corner, to stand up for what I think is right. I think that's a that's an admirable and courageous um, uh, tool, uh, an attitude for for a human being. This may be a much this may be a much deeper question though, which would be that uh, I find extreme passion and delight in the moment of finding out I was wrong. Uh, so it's where yes, in re in recent yes. years here here's a moment where here's a school of thought that I just no longer agree with. Here's a Here's a product that I sold thousands of dollars of, and I took the thing off the market to then redo it because the way that I originally taught it, I was wrong. Here's um, here's a whole you know school of thought, a whole organization that I used to align with, and saw that everyone else moved forward, and they were moving backwards, and recognizing that any decision I make, you know, the delight of not just to the entire profession, but the people who have spent time with me in a classroom. I get to answer to those people as well. And it's not that statement of, no, I was wrong. It's instead the, well, here's this evolution of the process and seeing that this one way of getting into it, you know, may not be the only way to do it. But that's also, so, so, um, using, using the magic reference again, um, you know, th th there's been lots of things where uh, I I've learned how to do a move, a, a sleight of hand, particularly with card magic, which is a, sort of the area that I spend a lot of my time in. Uh, so I'll I'll spend, I mean, months, uh, and I mean months of hour after hour after hour of practicing something to get really good muscle memory uh, of a very difficult sleight of hand technique. And then after maybe working it for a few years and really owning it, one of my friends will come up to me and go, oh, there's a, there's a much easier way and more efficient <laughs> way to do this. And they'll show me that new way. And I don't look at it of, you know, you know, I'm not sort of thinking, well, I've got to ignore this now because I've invested so much in what I already knew. My, my response is, Yay! Brilliant. You know, that's fantastic. I'm so pleased. And let's bring that into the hypnosis dialogue here that suddenly now it's not that the old method is no longer good. It's that you have a different method now. And for whatever reason in the magic world, maybe in this in this environment of performance, the angles are not right for you to use that new method or for whatever reason, uh, the same as you may find working with a client, this school of thought that I'm now sort of ascribing to and looking at. Uh, when suddenly here comes the client who they sit down and they deliver that amazing hypnotic contract that just simply says, oh, if I could fill in the blank, this would be a whole lot easier. And they've just described that old technique you used to use. That's now's the time to pull it out. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And this is this is why I think that there's there's um there's almost I, I, I've always said there's a couple of layers to this. A, a comment I made to uh, to Adam Eason about maybe up to sort of five, six years ago now, was um, I believe we should be uh, scientific, evidence-based in our research and development. And by that, I mean uh, to, to actually have the, science, the scientific mind, which is to be um, as objective as we as subjective human beings can be. So, so uh, we, you know, we're, we're, we, we try and disprove our theories rather than go out to prove them correct we we use the scientific method of, of disproving um you know we, we are we, we are 
eager to be wrong. We are we are excited by uh, anything that that expands our knowledge further, and that should be our mindset. However, in our in our use of hypnosis, we should be as creative as possible. And I think those are two kind of slightly separate entities. That that when I'm when I'm performing um, uh, hypnosis uh, for theatrical purposes, I tend to use it for, but I do still do a little bit of therapy as well. Um, uh, th- that to me is the time where uh, I can sort of I, I can put I, I can I can bring into being everything that I've learned and everything that I know, but I can listen and be in, be you know be intent. Uh, with the person that I'm, I'm working with, um, be observant of uh, of what they do and how they do it, and and just help them paint this wonderful mental picture. You know, bring everything to bear in this moment. And if that means dipping into a technique that personally I think is nothing more than um, a placebo, mm-hmm. uh, then I will. Because it, it it's it's going to work. It's going to it's going to be useful. You know, I'm going to I'm going to pay attention to the person's culture, their background, their religious beliefs. Uh, you know, I, I worked with somebody not that long ago um, who was um, a very very devout uh, Catholic, and they had a, a really strong belief in uh, in demons as being the uh, uh, you know the cause of, of 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 ills in the world, and it was it was their distance from God that meant that they were they they were feeling the the things that they were feeling. Um, so essentially, I just use those as great metaphors to to help them um, rethink and learn from a situation and and, and you know uh, reorder their thoughts and their ideas in a in a very hypnotic fashion. Um, so, so just because you know, and I'm not sitting there going, no, 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 this is just a placebo. Grow up, because that's not going to have the the positive effect. But it, it's a, again, sort of, because I find it easy to to think along the magic lines. The danger to me is is do we end up believing the lies ourselves? And this is the this is the the little sort of crossover that I fear with some hypnosis. Uh, I, I think that hypnotists, because maybe they've just grown up with hypnosis in a clinical setting, um, um, you know, within within hypnotherapy, and they went to a school and they learned hypnotherapy. I th- and I know that, that that people might not like me saying this, but I think it's dangerous to forget that hypnosis, the history of hypnosis, has an awful lot more in common with the deceptive arts um, uh, than we like to admit in the way that it's presented, the way that we use it, the whole mechanism of look in my eyes and sleep deeper and deeper and everything that's come from that, which is, which is a huge amount of therapy. You know, the people listening to this as therapists may, may think, oh, I've never said sleep and I've never said look in my eyes. But actually, tape what you do and look at it objectively and think, actually, the, the, the whole theatrical frame of this is still within this mystical world that that i am able to delve into your subconscious mind and i'm able to implant suggestions and make changes it's it's very psychic mediumship it's it's all within that field and i think we have to be cautious it's so easy to to step across a line where you actually start believing the stuff that you're saying in the wrong way and and 
I'm rambling slightly. Well, I think the thing to the thing to highlight there is that while there may be some that completely would hear that statement and go, "That's not right. That's not what I'm doing." It's to pull back for a moment, and as I would phrase it sometimes, to look at society has now presented this role as the hypnotist. We have this profession that people will call up a hypnotist. I can think of practically any client I've seen over the last, well, let's call it out, 10 years or so that has come in, and part of their initial decision-making strategy was that they have a perception as to what we do. They have mm. this idea in their mind that this is that role that we serve. And they see us as someone who can deliver that, who can help assist in that. And yes, there's going to be some, you know, sliding scale to this. Here's the one who um, calls me up and says, hey, I saw the movie Get Out. Um, I want you to do that to me so I can quit smoking. Don't do the brain thing, but, you know, just do the stop smoking yeah. bit. And he's calling and from a bit of a playful place, there's some truth behind that request that he's seeing that this is an ability that we have. We have this you know, evolutionary psychology mindset that society and just evolution has given us this ability to go into this place in our minds. Uh, so to to then be there with a client and not harness it in some way appropriately would always be my phrasing here. You know, I'm not putting on um, dark eyeliner makeup and having low rolling fog and presenting the theatrical environment of something absolutely <laughs> mystical. But I'm delivering um, – I'm flashing to a moment of a magic convention years ago where Max Maven is in the audience looking at someone on stage uh -huh. with the same damn makeup and going, huh. <laughs> uh, there's a reference. There's a reference 5% of the audience will get here. But to look at, again, you know, th this place that we are there, – there's an experience that we are also assisting to deliver that at its core, I love the dialogue back to, you know, back to the evidence that, you know, let's actually – put in techniques that actually work as opposed to just dressing that presents the expectation that it should work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, using, uh, using the, the theatricality as a device, as a, as a tool to, to enhance somebody's experience isn't a bad thing. You know, writers, filmmakers, um, uh, screenplays, actors, you, this world, um, you know, history is full of an understanding that human beings love stories uh, and the way that we tell stories, the way that we create the light and shade around the stories is incredibly important. Um, uh, but as long as you understand that, that this thing that you're doing is about creating this this picture rather than and my issue, I think really my issue with a lot of hypnotic stuff always comes back to this notion of what I've what I've always referred to as the belief, the belief in spells and rituals that, that, you know, there's a difference between saying, well, there are certain words and phrases and actions and, and, and gestures that are really good at creating emotions and feelings and expectation in people and saying that there is something intrinsically magical about. Um, so, so, you know, it's this idea of when somebody teaches an induction. And they teach a very specific, you know, that you, you take the hand like this and you move it to this position and the elbow is turned just here and you say these precise words at this precise tone. And, and I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. Well, you, the suggestion here is, the implicit suggestion here is that unless you follow these perfectly, it doesn't work. Ergo, there is something specifically magical about 
the induction about you know about the the, the ritual of the moves and the, uh, the 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 words. Now the moment the moment that you suggest that if I say these special words at this in this special way, uh, it it has this magical outcome. Well, you're talking about a spell, and this is where I start to you know the hairs on the back of my neck go up a little bit, and I think, well, hang on a minute, no, that that you know we're we're now. We're now confusing effect with cause, and I think an awful lot of the things in hypnosis are, um, that, that we label as "oh, this is what makes it work." I think we're we're looking at the effect, not at the cause, and the cause is something much simpler, much more everyday, um, much more um, uh, you know easy to understand, um, and 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 actually helpful. And I think that's the point. I think that. Uh, the more we strip away the ritual from hypnosis, the more beneficial it becomes. And one of the reasons for that is that, you know, if you walked into a, a room of 10,000 people, a big stadium of 10,000 people, and if you said, right, you know, we, we're just going to separate you out straight away. So line down the middle. Uh, who thinks hypnosis is inherently good? Who thinks it's inherently bad? You would, I don't know what the percentage would be, but you would split the room. There'd be no doubt about it. There would be a, a, a mass of people that would think it was wrong and a mass of people who would think it right and maybe a group of people who kind of didn't know either, one way or the other. Now, if you subdivide those down again and you start asking more questions, you divide the room even further. You know, who thinks that hypnosis is fundamentally about controlling, that they see it as the, you know, what I refer to as the Dark Lord character, the, the you know, the Max Maven-esque uh, uh, look. Um, and again, you would split the room down again. Now, here's where the problem lies. If you present, if you're presenting, and, and, and obviously it appeals to some, just like the guy who contacted you and said, I've seen the film Get Out, could you do that to me? Well, clearly he has belief in that, but not enough to scare him. Yet that film itself will have caused an awful lot more people to have decided never to contact a hypnotist because it simply either created or reinforced the belief that hypnosis is somehow a dangerous thing, that it is, you know, in the wrong hands, it could be used badly. Now, th this is one of the reasons why uh, about five years ago I stopped using uh, the, the the idea of hypnosis in 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 my performance, as in the word hypnosis, and I also stripped away as many of the identifying markers as I possibly could. I stripped away the 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 tonality, um, you know that sort of take you know you know do you know what I mean that sort of uh, I think Adam Adam calls it the hush FM hypnotist <laughs> voice. Yeah, uh, I stripped away that. I stripped away the eyes closed. I stripped away the, the, the idea of relaxation, that everything was about, you know, calming everything down. Um, I stripped away most of the, uh, the, 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 the hypnotic language, the, the, the identifying hypnotic language markers. And particularly, I stripped away the idea of me controlling you in anything other than a, a, very, a very playful, impish way. Um, none of none of these things removed, by the way, made a toss of difference to the outcome. I still do exactly the same stuff that I used to do when I did formal induction, sleep deeper and deeper, deepeners, the whole lot. Yeah, I can still get to uh, uh, to hallucination as fast as I could before. There's, there's no change has been made on the efficacy level. 
Now, just to pause you there for a second, I'm curious to ask, you had to kind of give just a base level sort of description of a user experience. Um, what would that what would that look like in terms of describing that you're able to hit the same results, but without all the ritual? Uh, uh, are you talking about, you know, stepping you through what I do or are you talking about? Yeah, uh, just a basic description of uh, what you would do to, to satisfy that same result. And. I mean, I, I, the truth of the matter is I go almost immediately into uh, uh, some level of a demonstration uh, with, with the individual. I, I, I do, you know, what might be referred to as, a, you know, a set piece, uh, you know, a hand stick or an eye lock or something like that. But I go, I go in like pretty much instantaneously. There's very little setup save um, uh, one explanation, um, and it's the explanation of uh, – you know, I'm going to ask you to imagine something, but when I say imagine it, I don't just mean think it. I mean feel and experience it too. The way our imagination works is not just the thought in our head, but it's actually creating the illusion of something with our own body. Let me give you an example. Um, if I hold my arm out and I and I imagine it's being you know held up by maybe a piece of string connected to the ceiling, I could simply think about it, or I could allow my arm to to take on the physiology as if it were hung up in other words i'd have the point of contact to the yeah. ceiling i'd take all the way out of my arm i would allow my arm to feel you know as if it was held up uh, so that if i was looking away genuinely not only can i imagine the piece of string but i can actually feel my arm behaving as if it's connected and i and i just set up this idea that that implicitly what I'm saying is I'm I'm doing everything I possibly can to create the illusion for myself that it is. So I'm over I'm yes. over explaining the 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 as if principle, basically. Yet I, I have to ask, is that is that a suggestion just like the original framework? No, I don't think it is. It's, it, it, there's no suggestion in mm. that. I'm simply telling you what you need to do. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm informing nice. you what's going on before we do anything, because part of the problem a lot of the times uh, in my experience, uh, and why what I think accounts largely for this kind of you know one in five, two in five. Um, numbers that hypnotists tend to throw out of one in five people is, you know, people you meet are somnambulist and one in five people can't be hypnotized. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but it's bullshit. I'll go for it. It's absolute <laughs> bullshit. It's, it, again, it's one of these um, uh, excuses that is made after the fact to justify what's happened rather than because it's actually got meaning to it. Um, well, I mean, it's the same dialogue of, um, you know, the resistant client. It's yes. no, no, it's a result of a lack of rapport and a lack of flexibility on the practitioner. And, I, and, and my experience says that, that for the majority of situations, uh, there are a handful of reasons why somebody doesn't have an experience. Uh, I believe that everybody can be hypnotized, just not everybody will choose to be hypnotized under the circumstances at the time. I think those are two very different ideas. Um, and the latter makes more sense. And one of the reasons why somebody doesn't get hypnotized is, in fact, the most common reason in my estimation is that they actually don't understand what their role is, what their part to play is. Because if yeah. you, um, so, so again, it, it's this idea of if you believe that hypnosis 
if you believe in hypnosis as a as a as a ritual and a spell you believe that you are doing hypnosis to somebody that you have a power over somebody else by means of some ritual or spell that you that you that you in, you know enchant to them with if you on the other hand believe that it, that's not what's happening and there is something more scientific more natural going on then it stands to reason that it's the person that's actually doing all of the heavy lifting you are uh, i love the analogy of the actor director you are the director as the hypnotist they are the actor you are simply directing them to act but it's up to them to be a good actor or not and unfortunately a lot of the time we simply rely blindly on the frame of hypnosis to work you know i'm a hypnotist i'm a hypnotherapist Let's do these various games that kind of do something, but not necessarily anything special. You know, the eye fixation, the the the, the various sort of hand clasps, etc. But even the things like magnetic hands, even classic things like magnetic hands, won't do anything unless the person actually understands what it is you're asking them to do. If if you know, yes. if they just hold their hands out in front of them and they don't get that they actually have to. Uh, you know, engage in this, that they actually have to think as if to allow their body to create that sensation, nothing will happen. And it's not because they can't be hypnotized. It's probably because they don't understand the instructions. Well, I mean, it's where there's there's a there's a game at times to, I mean, the power of vague language to just suggest to somebody you can notice that feeling moving throughout you without actually labeling it. But there does get to be a place where it becomes way too vague for someone to have any clue as to what's going on. Um, so, I, even this idea of the vague language still only it, it either hits home by pure chance that all of the ingredients around them add up to to understanding, um, and there's a lot more ingredients going on than simply your words and their ears. Um, uh, and that was something else I kind of uh, I, I love I love to tap into this when I'm at conventions. Sorry to digress slightly, but I love tapping in at this at conventions, uh, hypnosis conventions, and, and and sort of workshop days that that go on and NLP trainings because uh, I walk in there and I appear to be a god amongst hypnotists half the time because I'm walking in and I'm you know I'm inducing hypnosis like I did at the UKHC by flicking water in somebody's face. And people are stunned. You know, how is this possible? Teach us your ways, O oh Master. But what they fail to understand is actually all I'm doing is I'm making use of where we are and who we're talking about and what's going on. Uh, you know, to, to me, all of this is a massive uh, bunch of suggestions and presuppositions and expectations and intentions. Yeah, for those that weren't there, could you just kind of give us a sort of a play-by-play -play description of what that demo looked like that you did back at uh, back in London? Well, the great part of this is that almost everybody seemingly missed the actual first part, was I very casually and offhandedly yeah. said something along the lines of, "I said, look, I really don't have a lot of time here, so who's a you know who here's a really great subject?" And immediately, one yes. person in front of me put their <laughs> hands up, and I went, "Right, perfect, up you come." <laughs> Uh, and as he and as he got to the stage, um, I, I I don't think I did anything other than I just sort of sort of just pushed him back into a chair and said sleep. Uh, there was nothing else going yeah, on. Yeah, you you stared him in the, you stared him in the eyes and you oh, pushed stared, him down in yeah, the chair and said sleep. I stared at him first, did I? Okay, I stared at him first just just to make sure that the the the, the 
Because James, you and I know without without the stairs. Absolutely, huh? yeah, that would be, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, okay, <laughs> I, can't ignore, I can't ignore the magic stair. Yeah, um, and um, you know, I, I mean, just for, just for context, and I'm sure everybody listening to this must know, but the, the, the stair the stair only had one purpose, and that was just to just to essentially say to him, right, something's about to happen. That's all, and it's yes. you know, it's it's the same as when we do magic. You know, there are little moments where you pause. Uh, and you pause that 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 little theatrical pause is simply because you want that little moment of of silence so that your your audience your subject your 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 spectator just leans forward in their chair with expectation something's about to happen and that's all that was um, and then of course well this was the dialogue that you and I were having before I hit record that I was talking about just here's a and what the technique is doesn't really matter for this dialogue but here's a technique that I'll use with a client that I found by stepping in and doing that stare making that eye contact it got a night and day difference yes. it's that it's that scene change it's again back to the movie reference of the power of melodrama suddenly hears the music in the scary movie which is winding you up telling you something's about to happen Here's uh, back to my theater career, a moment where it's this fun, light, you know, entertaining musical and the director's lighting it like a tragedy and he got the, the lighting designer's lighting it like a tragedy and probably got fired and replaced to go, hey, guys, this is funny. And you had to light it in such a way that the audience could the, the brightness of it was now standing out. So there's that framing around it. <laughs> that was a, 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 well, you, you'll you'll know uh, of Luke Jamey. Uh, who's a, an exceptional yeah. uh, mind in the world of, of mentalism, of magic mentalism. Um, and Luke talks extensively in one of his early books about the idea of the witch doctor effect. Uh, the, you know, the very simple concept that, you know, you do, you do something uh, and, you know, you, you hold that moment for long enough. And it might be something as simple as just slowly rubbing uh, your finger and thumb together, but you do it with such intense intent Um I mean, you, 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 while you're doing it, you actually don't necessarily know what the outcome of this moment of intense intent will be. But what you're doing is you're, you're giving space to the spectator, to the audience, uh, to find the answer, to fill in that gap. Um, because they, they, they are, you know, they are desperate to know what this means and they will fill in meaning for you uh, if left long enough to do so. Uh, and again, I love use, utilizing that in in the hypnotic environment. As long as there is a sense, there is a frame uh, that that creates just the opening for a bit of expectation from them. You can you know you can make anything work, uh, including as I then went on to do uh, as a set as another demonstration was um, take a cup of water that I'd all but finished and just stand in silence, flicking the. Uh, the chap with droplets of water from the from the almost empty cup, uh, knowing of course that on the third time, the magic third time, uh, he would descend into this beautiful world of hypnosis. I mean, whatever the hell that would mean to him, uh, and of course he did. Uh, um, so so yeah, it did, you know, it did. using using the, their frame of reference is, is fun, of course. Um, but moving away from uh, so so quickly going back to what you said i mean essentially my whole setup is simply everything about what i'm going to be doing is i want you to to play a game with me uh so that my whole setup is really about i want you to imagine something um 
and then we are going to create the illusion which is just a perfectly normal everyday thing that your brain does anyway uh, we are going to create the illusion of it happening to you which is obviously using the language of uh, anthony jackwin the head hacking team uh, turning a doing into a happening uh, that we're going to ask you to imagine something and then we're going to create the right environment for that to feel involuntary at some level. Uh, and from here on in, we're just, we're just working up what I call the plausibility scale. You know, we, 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 we're taking things and we're making them more and more plausible uh, because of your experience. Um, and, you know, take something as simple as uh, your hand, uh, a hand sticking down. Now, the, the reality to a hand stick is that the way a hand stick works is because the person is pushing down with their hand. That's the way that the body creates the illusion of their hand being stuck by pushing down. So the only thing I need to do to create the phenomena that it's stuck for real is, to, is for the person to stop realizing they're pushing down. The moment they, they are no longer aware of pushing down, is the moment where they experience it as stuck. Um, and literally, so from, from an internal dialogue point of view, it's that beautiful phrase that you can see it, you can see the moment in the person's eyes where internally they think, I can't lift my hand. And usually for most people, there's a, the prefix to that is, oh shit, <laughs> I can't lift my hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Danny and I actually in our work talk about the oh shit moment. And it's a, it's a great moment, and it's a great moment to find because as soon as you have it, then then and and now whatever frame you want to place on it, you can place on it. You can play with that. And if you want to make this uh, a, a beautiful cooperative uh, actor director uh, environment, you can make it that, which is kind of what we like as a frame anyway. It's a non-threatening frame, but from a theatrical point of view, uh, sometimes when I'm doing uh, uh, particularly sort of um, fun corporate shows. Uh, I will play with that frame and I will I will slowly twist it. So it starts as this wonderful, fun, light, fluffy thing that we do. But then I just slowly and carefully turn it darker and darker and darker until the end of it is very much like um, uh, the evil puppet master that I that I am just controlling your body, that you have full con conscious awareness of all of this. So you are. It's as if you are awake whilst your body has been taken over entirely, and I'm I am making you move around the stage, and it's a, it's 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 purposefully designed to be uh, a frightening experience. It's designed to feel terribly unnerving uh, for the participant and the audience. Uh, but don't forget, I've not thrown you in the deep end at this. We've 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 played to this point. And we, we, you know, I allow this experience and then the experience is released and the, the subject and the audience learns a great deal about what's really happening, um, about, uh, about themselves, about the sense of control, about empowerment. So there's, so there's a really positive message at the end of all of it. So there's no sting in the tail, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's looking for what, what I'd kind of asked the question, because so far we've been in the dialogue of. Uh, let's call it a stage performance. Let's call it, um, you know, more of almost a street hypnosis kind of aspect of it. How does this all now get over to the dialogue of personal change? We're now we're moving from that place of they're now in that hypnotic experience, whether it's a suggestibility type experience or the instant reinductions. 
how does that now translate in your in your mind towards the fact that people are able to make these rapid changes with hypnosis? Because uh, so simply because I I look at all of this as um, so so none of the things that I'm doing none of these structured things that I'm doing. Uh, are important to me at all. None of them are. None, none of them are doing anything mm-hmm. uh, beyond uh, beyond um, being in and of themselves just another suggestion to help paint the picture in the person's mind. So why does this help me from a therapeutic point of view? Well, because it gives me a real sense of freedom that we can look at we can look at what the issue is and we can play with it in a variety of ways. Um, and I can make it real for, for the individual, as real as they want it to be, as real as I need it to be for them, as real as they need it to be for themselves. So we can look at various different techniques um, of, of you know, repatterning um, um, sort of feelings that they have about something. Uh, you know, we can, um, we can use metaphors and, 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 and it's kind of any dip into any change work uh, arena. Uh, including sort of EFT, tapping, you know, chant, you know, anything at all. It doesn't really matter to me what it is. It's now much more about how do I, how do I help this person create something so powerful and so unique? And all of this comes down to my core belief that, that we are a collection of, uh, of imagined experiences anyway. You know, we, you know, I believe what I believe because it was suggested to me in one form or another. Um, and because, you know, I, I, I constantly play, um, play these tapes, if you like, I, you know, every situation I'm in, uh, my, my mind is digging straight back into, into its resource pack and saying, right, have I done this before? And can I automate as much of my response as possible to save the limited bandwidth that this poor human James Brown actually has? Uh, you know, my mind is always out to help me. It knows I'm a little bit thick. Um, and therefore it wants to make my life as easy as possible. But unfortunately along the way, it, it, it's automating lots of, lots of shitty programs that, that aren't really helpful to me. Um, so the benefit of all of this is that we can, we can play with various ways of, of, of changing the story of, of altering, um, altering the way I feel about something, um, uh, reprogramming, if you like, uh, the thoughts and the feelings, um, so that I can, I can play a better script the next time round. Um, you know, we could- tell me if this is a pair, tell me if this is a fair paraphrase that basically it's through the use of hypnotic suggestion to create an alternate experience. It's kind of breaking away the reality of how, how solid that problem was that, you know, we're kind of going deeper down that hole in terms of here's a different way that we can experience this world around us. And that, that original issue wasn't as solid. It wasn't as real of a story as we previously held on to. Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I have a firm belief. The reason we, Danny and I called it reality bending was that all the research that we've done, uh, all the neuroscience study that we've done over the last five or 10 years uh, has pointed us to the, you know, the reality that we experience is not the reality that is. Um, it is a meta reality. It's a filtered reality. You know, the, um, even down to something as simple as our eyesight is only taking a taking in a fraction of what we think it's taking in, and our minds are creating a positive illusion. Um, 
uh, a, a positive hallucination uh, to fill in the gaps. And, and when we come together as, as, as people and we have conversations and we, um, you know, we, we act very tribal by, by nature of gravitating towards people who, who, who we think see the world the way that we do, uh, we solidify this, this reality as a shared experience. Um, and, and when you start adding all of that up, you realize that actually, you know, uh, in fact, I think the best way to put it is my, my bless her, my grandma, decades ago, and she's long since dead now, my grandma used to say, uh, there's what I think, there's what you think, and then there's the truth. And, and what she was really getting <laughs> at was the idea that none of us have access to that third part. Yeah, none of us do. I, there's what I think, yes. there's what you think, and then there's the truth. But that is not that is not in the reach of either of us, and that's the problem. Uh, that it's 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 perp it's perpetually out of our reach, and I think reality is perpetually out of our reach. Uh, we are incapable of 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 actually uh, objectively experiencing it in any meaningful sense. So what we do now have to do is we, we have to we ne- we now have to balance as best as we can between uh, what we what I think is real uh, and what is actually useful. Uh, I made a comment in the talk, which is a quote from somebody else, which is uh, um, uh, the problem with the world today is that uh, people would rather be right than be useful. And a few people mis- misunderstood <laughs> what I meant by that. And I wasn't talking about being accurate because being accurate is, is something to be stri- striven for, striven for, to strive for. Yeah. What I'm talking about is the uh, is the subjective sense of rightness, and that includes the idea of this is how I feel, and I'm right to feel that way. You know, I'm offended, and my objective, my, sorry, my subjective feelings are intrinsically important. No, actually, they're not. The problem is that that's that's the issue. You, you'd rather be right than be useful. Yeah, and we we all have that issue within us that we'd rather be right. We'd rather say, no, this is how I feel, and and this is my reality, and and this is my life, and and you know, uh, and that's that's the way it is. And I, and actually, I think from a therapeutic point of view, a lot of what we do is helping people re um, uh, reassess their, their 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 certainty uh, to to actually start to allow the the healthy aspect of doubt. You know, the reason the reason that you feel the way that you do is because you're, you're so damn certain that this is how you feel and th- this is real. Uh, and actually, it's it's a um, well, to tap into Jorgen's phrase, uh, it, it's a psychological illusion. You know, you've created you've created a world, you've spun a web around it so tightly that you think that this is real. And, and now you're looking for essentially you've come here because you're looking for a magic spell. But actually, you don't need a magic spell. You just you just need to be willing to just have a closer look at this thing, and maybe maybe it's just not what you thought it was. Uh, but to do that, we might have to unpack some other things. We might have to dismantle a few other things along the way. Um, what I like about the methodology that we play with is that we're not tied to a script a format we can we can dip in and out of everywhere because fundamentally the the one thing that i'm interested in playing with is your belief and that's it it's all it comes down to 
I believe hypnosis is a is it works because of belief. I think it's about belief. The experience is one of belief. Um, that's where the magic happens. It's in your belief. If you don't believe it, if you're not interested, uh, if you're not paying attention, if your mind's elsewhere, it, the effect is different. Uh, but if I can, if I've got your belief, if I can play with your belief, then I literally have have the keys to the kingdom. Uh, um, to to just throw in another random metaphor for you. Um, you know, if I have your belief, I have the keys to your kingdom. I can do anything with you. I can manipulate every aspect of your being, who you think you are, um, your, your past, your present, your future. Uh, that's why I think that hypnotists are better, uh, better served thinking about the way that they play with belief than they are thinking about the rules, the rituals, uh, the spells um, uh, of their of their craft of the people that taught them. I love it. I love it. So then to tie it all together, I love the phrasing around um, the, the professional opportunist. <laughs> uh, what, what behind that? What is that? What you define as the wrongless approach? Okay, so the wrongness approach was was essentially born out of um, uh, a couple of good friends of mine, Ian Rowland um, and Darius Zaitabari, who, who'd kind of been looking at my work and, and sort of modeling me in, in some respects. Um, uh, and and uh, I think it was Darius came up with the idea that, you know, he, he referred to me as he says, you're an opportunist. You seem to just... You seem to just change direction whenever you need to, and you let go of things that you don't need, and you, you know, you, you just have this way of seizing the moment, very sort of carpe diem in the way that you think in life performance, um, and sort of in life as well. Uh, and Ian Rowland um, coined the wrongless approach uh, because we'd had this step, this deep conversation, and uh, essentially, I'd said that. The problem I saw with 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 people is that we are all fed into this idea of success failure, this binary outcome to almost everything that we do, right from uh, from early age, certainly from school, uh, all the way through through our life, um, you know, our love lives, our, our our occupations. Everything is bound up in you will either succeed at the thing that you're about to do, or you will fail. Success brings all these positive feelings. Failure brings all these negative feelings. Now, there are a couple of problems with this. The first is that your chance of failure is always uh, significantly bigger than your chance of success because the success, by definition, is a much narrow, narrower um, um, set of uh, things to, to aim for. Yeah, uh, Failure is much more likely. Uh, the other side is that because of this, uh, this this impending doom, this impending failure that could happen at any moment, and all the bad, uh, you know, stress, anxiety, anxiety, and weak uh, uh, worry feelings that, that that it brings, we actually drag that baggage along with us through the process. So, um, you think about somebody who um, who has a problem with public speaking, or just doesn't like the idea, or maybe purely socially conditioned to believe that it's something that they should be terrified about man that's a different subject altogether um uh, but imagine that person who's got something to do the problem is the, the the first day that their boss says you know in six weeks time you need to do this presentation 
uh, every time they sit down to think about it, every time they sit down to do research or to start to write ideas down, in their head there is this battle going on with these two sensations, these two feelings, and, and there's a good chance that the negative one is going gonna, is gonna to be bashing away at them constantly. So everything about the presentation, the preparation, the setup, the whole thing is, uh, has this weight of expectation. And I think it's a it's just a crap model ultimately. Um, I think a much better way of thinking about these things is the is the idea of looking at things as being um, opportunities to enjoy myself and create joy for others. And whatever happens, whatever happens will will be the right out- outcome by virtue of the the actual goal was not the outcome, but it was the the enjoyment of the journey. And it, it might seem oversimplified, and there's a lot more work on it in the book, um, but it's this this very clear idea that actually, if you think differently, if you take success and failure off the off the table right at the start, it doesn't stop you from from getting to a to, to, to you know to the summit that you were aiming for. Uh, it simply means that you get chance to enjoy the damn journey. And you get to learn from the experience. Uh, it changes your outlook on things. Um, uh, you- I mean, that's what also makes it extremely sustainable yeah. as opposed to now that I've hit the goal, now what? Yeah. Uh, instead, to to really enjoy the process of getting there, which then has a much more natural progression. Yeah. Well, to, to give you a very quick story on this, to give you an example of, of, of the difference, um, a couple of years ago, I did um, a, a parachute jump, a tandem jump. Uh, a friend of mine invited me to go along and do it, and we went through this process. Um, now, uh, literally, the moment the moment he said about this, I just thought, "Wow, what a great opportunity to enjoy myself." That was that was literally that was the only thing I was thinking. Wow, what a fantastic opportunity to have an immense amount of fun. And uh, every time I thought about it leading up, which initially was quite a lot, but then of course you know life gets in the way, and you know. We creep towards the date and I'm busy doing other things. But every time I thought about it, I was just thinking, oh, wow, this fantastic opportunity to have fun, to enjoy myself and, and think about the enjoyment I could have with other people as well before, during and after. Got to the day itself and we went through the various training things <laughs> and we got up into the aeroplane. And as we're going up in the plane, I'm, um, I was reading a book, actually. I was, I'd, I'd got into a, a particular book that I'd been reading sort of you know, over, the, over the few days beforehand. And I thought, well, I know that there's about, you know, there's a lot of downtime on the, on the day. There's a lot of sitting around doing bugger all while you're waiting for th- other things to happen. So I thought, I'll take a book with me to read. So on the flight up, I'm, I'm reading a book, and we got to the point where they said, right, you know, we're nearly there, just final checks um, attached to the, 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 you know, the, the instructor, and you're getting ready to jump out, and we jumped out. And I enjoyed every second of it. I mean, literally every moment of the whole thing, I loved it. Um, now, what was interesting was the conversations I had with everybody else during the day and after. Everybody else who, who was on that jump that day had been excited, nervous, terrified, all wrapped up into one, that they saw this as being a potential for success, but also a potential for failure. They had that binary mentality. And as a result, there was, there was excitement wrapped up with anxiety all the way up to the day on the day, on the journey up, 
people are now starting to really get nervous and there's a lot of like you know people shaking and and, and getting feeling sick and and uh, you know one person even was sort of saying that they wanted to back out usual scenario by all accounts and there's me reading a book people thinking something cynically <laughs> wrong with me but the point is every time every one of them who jumped out of the plane missed the first 30 seconds of their descent hmm. because they they weren't there they weren't there in that yeah they were they were wrapped up in in the in the fear and the exhilaration but they were wrapped up in that and each of them that got to the ground there was there was there was one person who actually didn't like it from from start to finish but that's cuz i think she decided not to like it from start to finish but the majority of people once they got going and particularly once the chute opened and and that was the moment for people where the chute opened and they felt safe again yeah it's not a big time difference between the two happening of course uh but when the chute opened they felt safe again and then particularly when they landed and every every time they they, they 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 you know this this happened, they all said, "Oh, do you know what? I wish we could do it again because then we could enjoy it." You know, we kind of feel that we 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 missed out on so much of the journey down because we were just desperate to get back on the ground. Yeah, we were desperate to get to that, yeah. that successful outcome where we hadn't failed. Whereas I wasn't thinking about landing at all. I was thinking about having fun. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed everything about it, the lead up to the day, the day itself, the journey up in the plane, even though I was reading a book, it was it was an enjoyable book, what can I say? And then then the moment we stepped out of the plane, I was I was present for the whole thing and I loved it. I missed I missed not a second and I still have the very strong memory of the event as well. Uh and and, and actually this 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 is a mentality that you can play around with with lots of things. Uh, and I certainly use it within hypnosis. It's why you know, the wrongness approach is, is the foundation of what I do. It's the confidence that, that, that in what I do uh, so that, you know, people often say, oh, what happens if the, the subject doesn't, you know, when hypnotists are scared to test their work often because they're, they're scared that the, the person might lift their hand up off the table or open their eyes at the wrong moment. Um, and that fear doesn't affect me. Because, you know, I don't look at that as being as, as reflecting on me. It's not my fault. I'm, I'm not. The outcome didn't bother me. It was the journey. So I'm actually more likely to enjoy the challenging client, the challenging subject, the difficult spectator than I am the blind, blindly obedient one. Because to me, there's no there's no fun in in the in the, you know, in the easy subject. I've never understood hypnotists at conventions. I mean, it's not so much in the hypnotherapy world, but in the magic side of hypnosis. Uh, you know, you go anywhere, and as soon as the hypnotists find one good subject, they they kind of queue up to have a go one after another. You know, and like, well, why? We we already know this person's a great subject. W what does this do? What does this prove? Other than other than guarantee you the successful outcome that you crave yeah but you won't go over to yeah. you won't go over to a new table because now now you're worried about failure and now i will because actually mm -hmm. i'm not even thinking about that outcome it's the it's the it's the, the moment it's the present moment it's the enjoyment that we can have the enjoyment i can create in other people you know if i say lift your hand and find you can't and you lift your hand and everybody around laughs great well 
<laughs> now I get to do something with this. <laughs> it was, number, you know, right, right on the moment, great that they're laughing because actually my, my desire from the start of this was to, to create joy. So you all laughing, well, that's a sign of, that's a sign of joy, isn't it? Now, now people go, oh, but, but aren't you worried that they're laughing at you? Well, I'm not worried about it. And no, they're not. They're laughing at the situation. The only reason that I would see it as laughing at me is, is how I respond. If I respond in, a, in an uncomfortable way, now it, it, now it very quickly turns into laughing at me. But if I look at it, that they're laughing at the moment, the situation, now, now I can be a part of that, that joy too. Now I can, you know, I, I'm not separated from it. I'm not at the butt end of it. Now I can join in with the enjoyment of that. And then I can play with reframing it and I can have fun with it and I can morph it into whatever I need it to be uh, with their help and make it a collaborative um, endeavor. And I find that there's, there's a huge amount of enjoyment and freedom to be had uh, just by shifting the way that we think um, about situations. And, you know, my favorite quote, I've used this so many times, it's um, a G.K. Chesterton quote, uh, C.K. Chesterton quote, which is um, uh, angels fly because they take themselves lightly. Uh, and I think that's a great <laughs> mantra to have that, that we can have. We can, we, can, we can take ourselves lightly. We can have fun with this and we can, uh, we can fly. You know, ultimately, we can do incredible things um, as hypnotherapists, as hypnotists, as performers. Um, you know, but as long as as long as we learn to take ourselves lightly. We can be serious about what we do. We can be thoughtful. Um, we can be, we can be uh, ethical, but we, we could all, we must also take ourselves lightly along the way. Beautiful. James, where can people find out more about you online and track down the book too? Okay. Uh, so, uh, the best place to get a hold of us is www.dark.com. P-O-W-A dot academy, www.powa dot academy. Uh, if anybody specifically wants to uh, hit me up with some stuff about hypnosis um, or uh, confidence stuff or the book, you know, if you want to if you want to get into direct touch, then just email me uh, James at P-O-W-A dot academy. And I would be delighted to start a conversation with anybody and uh, yeah, and spread the, spread the love, spread the joy. Jason Lynette here once again. And as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, for sharing it on your social media streams, leaving your reviews online. And once again, head over to worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash training. That's where you can find all the upcoming live events as well as online educational programs to expand your learning and challenge these models of hypnosis and help a whole lot more people. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com.